Yo, I'm Will. Welcome. I call this little experiment anything is everything. This has got to be called something. The intention here is to share interesting, courageous, enlightening, vulnerable, strange, silly conversations to uh, maybe hopefully inspire something in you. All right, cool. Bye. Big smile. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome back to Anything is Everything. And I have a really, really amazing, super special guest today. Malcolm Saunders, owner, operator, brain, mastermind of The Light Cellar here in Calgary, Alberta. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. <laughs> I think I talked to you quite a while ago about an interview, so this is something I've wanted to do for a really long time. Yeah, a long time coming, so good for you for, for getting on it, putting uh-huh. this out in the world. Uh-huh. I think uh, I'm feeling our conversation may go there in terms of, I mean, we've all got ideas, inspirations, things we want to do, so good for you for taking the action. Uh, thank you. So many ideas. And like, when this one really came about was the winter before COVID. I did two interviews during that winter, which were the first and second episodes. Right. And then COVID happened and I was like, oh, I'm not having a thing about COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had to patiently wait and let things like settle a little and Here bit. we are, three years later. Yeah. Yeah. And I would love to say about you is that there are very few people in Calgary who so many people know about and have so many good things to say. So uh-huh. that's, I just want to like reflect that to you about like your impact on the community and yeah, how much people love you and how, oh. how much your heart comes out in, in having this space. So right on. Well, thank thanks. Yeah. yeah. Good, good reflections you. back. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's community is so important to me, you know, and in, in, in contributing and adding value. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. What was your intro into the worlds of of herbs and, and natural medicines and that kind of stuff? <laughs> I guess to put it bluntly, the first the first one that came to mind was cannabis. Sure, yeah. <laughs> it really is the great the gateway herb, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you know, going deeper than that, I think, uh, yeah, it was being raised by you know who my parents are and my dad, who's very much connected to nature. Mm. Um, you would one would describe them as atheists, I guess. I suppose I didn't even know that word until later, mm-hmm. um, because very much a non-religious household, but very kind of spiritual in the sense of connected to people, connected to uh, nature, and never grew up going to church. I guess in that sense, nature was you know just being outside, being active, going on on adventures and trips. So I think that is a huge foundation. Mm-hmm. More from my dad and then from mom, it's more that, that connection to, to people and, mm-hmm. and the humanity. So with those two as kind of as my foundation, once I was a teenager and you start to kind of <laughs> get your bearings in the world and try and figure out like, whoa, what is this place I'm, uh, I'm in and, and you know, who am I and how do I want to show up in the world? And, and you have all these expectations of you know what you're going to do and how you should go about it and who you're going to be and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, it's this journey of, of finding oneself, and absolutely key and instrumental uh, was music, uh-huh. number one, cool. uh, but also, yeah, I, cannabis, you know, and, and that being a gateway herb to other herbs, mm-hmm. right? Like, once you smoke a little pot, it's like, whoa, this, plants can do this? 
what else is going on in the flat realm? Uh-huh. It brings me these magical states of consciousness and, you know, magic mushrooms and psilocybin. Uh, also influential, um, you know, as kind of a, a window into a, a different realm, a different way of being, just, just as music was as mm-hmm. well. And those two often went hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So from there, uh, explored, you know, Music brought me to places like Africa and India, like a fascination with their culture, mm, cool. uh, which brought me to yoga and to meditation, which brings you to like Ayurveda. Uh, so there was a lot of kind of synergy uh, parallels between those two. And yeah, even from, you know, magic mushrooms to culinary mushrooms, which I think I had somewhat of a taste for, uh, you know, palate wise, but also just... Yeah, the inspiration grew to like, wow, what is, what are these guys all about, right? Totally. And uh, early in my journey of kind of nutrition, and which was again finding myself, which was again how do I want to show up in the world. Started as a vegetarian, exploring. Okay, you know, how do I feed myself? Well, mushrooms, good source of protein. You know, non-animal based, mm-hmm. which I was looking for at the time, uh, and then that extended fairly soon and quickly into the medicinal mushrooms. So one of my good friends, uh, Ziara Willard, who started uh, Harmonic Arts, and mm-hmm. he's also the director of the Wild Rose College of Natural Healing, mm-hmm. and uh, second-generation herbalist, his dad, Terry Willard. And uh, yeah, Yara and our connection with music, we met jamming on the street, you know, like busking. Oh, cool. And that kind of Crazy. thing. Yeah, like 15, 16, 17, uh, traveling, hitchhiking, drumming. And, uh, yeah, I remember meeting his dad in his early years, not really knowing about herbs, not really even knowing who he is at all, but just, he's this kind of cool guy that like pop mushroom pills up (laughs) every day. So that was, you know, the very first earliest introduction to reishi mushroom Uh and, uh, been, been subsequent ever since, but yeah, it was my own, my own path, my own journey of just trying to figure life out. Yeah. Yeah, because of those early connections with with nature, uh, I guess you could could have described me as a bit of a environmentalist at that time. Uh, I was I was the kid in the school that would get mad at you if you didn't use both sides of your paper. <laughs> um, you know, people like David Suzuki. You know, I loved him. Uh, he described modern economics as a severe form of brain damage. <laughs> nice. Um, and what, you know, where all that kind of intersected was this journey to be vegetarian. Um, and, I mean, the rhetoric, the narrative is almost louder, more prominent now than it was, uh, you know, 30 years ago. You know, that the way to save the world is to be a vegetarian, stop eating meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took that on wholeheartedly because, you know, I figured, well, what can I do? Just like this guy in suburban northwest Calgary, like... Mm. you know how how can I like make a difference in the world uh we lived in uh one of these kind of new communities that was getting developed where the 10th house built and the third house occupied Mm. and so all around us was just like fields and you know how we hung out as friends was like let's just go to the hills you know like just explore like Mm -hmm. hang out in the forest roam roam around the hills and then just slowly seeing all that get like turned up you know and these cookie cutter houses being put up um yeah it's i think we all have a an internal ecological wound you know that that we feel that we see in the world and and feel that internally so yeah i was 
inspired on, on many levels to, to do whatever I could. One thing, action I could do, great, I could be a vegetarian if that's going to save the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, quick, well, I, no, I don't want to say quickly. Took me more than ten years, twelve years, to realize I'm not meant to be a vegetarian. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's often one of these things of like it's a half truth, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything that you kind of read, see, hear. Uh, you know, there's a great book that was one of the kind of turning points for me to out, out and off of that journey. It's called The Vegetarian Myth. Okay. The cool. Era Keith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there were so many other influences as well, but uh, you know basic premise I guess is you could sum it down into to one phrase it's it's not the cow it's the how yeah beautiful yeah so that really kind of broadened my perspective and uh, but it was a journey you know because I was so committed to it ideologically uh, to take on this path and, and I love where it sent me because in changing my diet going from you know Food is just something that's literally quick, easy, and tastes good. Mm-hmm. That's the criteria. Okay, what's quick, what's easy, what tastes good? Yeah. Uh, when you're a 16-year-old, you know, and you're in charge for preparing all your meals, uh, that looked very often like uh, Pop-Tarts and grilled cheese and pizza sure. pops and breakfast cereals and like Fruit Loops and that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. uh, when you go from eating meat, potatoes, and junk food to just potatoes and junk food... That doesn't go so well. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was that kind of <laughs> now awakening of like, oh, maybe there is something more to food. Yeah, totally. And uh, what a great awakening. Because uh, I'm sure if I just continued on that path, I mean, I know I wouldn't be in the place that I am now. Uh, I'm sure I'd be maybe a little bit heavier and have definitely blood sugar issues and, and who knows what else right. uh, had I not made that shift. Which, you know, eventually the body speaks to you, it gets through, so... You know, signs and symptoms are just signals. They're just clues to... So I brought mine on very quickly by changing my diet, and uh, I was good. Because then it became this quest of like, okay, how do I live and eat in a way that aligns with my ideals? And uh, you don't always have it perfect right away. You learn along the way. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, I just kept going down these rabbit holes from like... You know, oh, I should be preparing my food from scratch, right? Like, oh, it's healthier. It's, you know, more ecologically friendly, this kind of thing. So just learning, experimenting. And I, you know, discovered through that, I I love being in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. I love food and I love being connected to the source of food, whether it's growing it or harvesting it um, and ultimately, like, preparing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. One thing I'd love to highlight is something that I noticed in that, like, one of the first, well, maybe not one of the first, but a really beautiful synchronicity that happened in your life was meeting the Willards. Right. You know, just through music and busking. Right, totally. Like, and then yeah. I know you still have close relationships with those guys and like they're in the same industry as you. So, yeah, yeah. You know, no matter who I talk to, everybody has like a, a crazy story like that where they just met this person super randomly and it like, or, or met a, you know, my breathwork teacher was an experience with dolphins. Right. <laughs> but, like, everybody has these experiences that, like, launch them to, like, where they're supposed to go, you know? Yeah, yeah. So cool. Yeah. And then it's such a real thing that, like, most people's diet is whatever is quick, easy, and tasty, you know? And it's not just it's not just teens or early 20s that are, are stuck in that cycle. It's, you know, full-time like parents who are working full time who then have to come home and cook. You right. Know? Or I got a story. I, a customer yeah, of mine, uh, he's, uh, he's a bachelor and he's in his mid forties. And, uh, there was a period in his life where 
just the way he had, he had figured it out rationally, mm. it was cheaper and easier just to go literally eat at the pub every day. Right. Right? Yeah. Because otherwise, well, he's got to go grocery shopping. He's got to think about what he wants to eat. And he's got to bring it home and, well, he's got to buy it. And he's got to bring it home and, like, figure out how to prepare it. And then he prepares it. He's got dishes to do. Ah, well, just go to the pub. <laughs> right? And, and that's another reality. And, uh, you know, so he kind of woke up 10 years after that going like, whoa, that wasn't a good idea. Yeah. And has since been on this journey to uh, turn that around. Mm-hmm. So is there any like myths you can dispel or like advice you can give people who are kind of stuck in that cycle who think that, you know, just eating healthy is very expensive and it's a waste of all my time and energy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That uh, anything I've seen is that, you know, it's, it's fulfilling in, in so many ways. Like it's more deeply nourishing, but there's, there's an art, there's a craft, you know, and it's, it's something so deeply inherently human that you're able to like touch into, mm-hmm. right? If, if it catches you. And, and for some, uh, it might be to, you know, go all the way and make everything you eat from scratch. Mm-hmm. Or it might be, you know, in the case of got some other clients that, um, you know, they, they raised their two boys here, boys moved off, you know, so they're retired, they're in that kind of stage. But, you know, all the way through, very kind of traditional roles where, you know, he worked and very busy at the office and, you know, she was at home, the homemaker, raised the boys, did all the meals, you know, mm-hmm. those very kind of very distinct roles. And even after the boys left, they kind of maintained that. And uh, then he came to a fermentation workshop. Mm. And uh, this is a guy that had literally hardly ever spent any time in the kitchen and uh, it was a few weeks after that and she's like what did you do to my husband you know like he's uh, taken over the kitchen you know like <laughs> there's a science experiment on every counter that he's got going right like yeah. and, it, and it's not like he prepares meals it's just like fermentation just got him you know and, and he was just so excited to like oh let's try this let's try that and uh, there's so many different angles that we can get fulfilled by it from you know obviously literally physically the food when we make things from scratch prepare ourselves you know like nutritionally it's there energetically it's more there uh but also you know again from this kind of like this human craft this art to get into it mm-hmm. uh and even even a science right if you go into the, the chemistry of it or uh the technicalities of, of how it's prepared and what's happening at this da, 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 like it just became this fascination for him mm-hmm yeah and you know i i would i would challenge this idea i don't want to say that you know eating healthy or preparing your own food yourself oh it's way cheaper you know you'll save money you might you know um but i would i would say you know food is worth investing in you know like i'm I'm not interested in cheap food mm-hmm. you know right. anymore <laughs> right i used to be yeah. right but but no longer I'm, I'm in i'm into quality and i think as kind of north americans we've gotten really accustomed to cheap food uh, but we know it's cheap in, in every way, you know, cost and, and quality, and, and we suffer that way. And, uh, yeah, when you, when you invest in quality, good stuff, like, it's it's just so much more depth and nourishment and, and taste and, and everything, and it's worth it. And we're kind of in North America, we're used to, you know, a certain percentage of our total income goes to food, mm-hmm. whereas all around the rest of the world, it's it's almost an inverse, you know, mm-hmm. like they're investing most of what they earn in a day mm-hmm. towards food, uh, whereas, you know, I'm not saying either is right or wrong or what we should or shouldn't, it's just, you know, kind of what we're used to, and so mm-hmm. we have lots of kind of 
other expenses, you know, things that we enjoy and things that are things nice. And somehow we put food kind of at a lower on the totem pole that we think, you know, should be cheap. That's just the, we shouldn't be spending so much money on food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there are absolutely ways, right? Like wild foraging is, uh, is one way to access free food and medicine, preparing things yourself. Uh, of course, you do need to buy the raw ingredients, but can often be cheaper. Uh, and then it's just putting in that time and that energy to learn how to create it, create it. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I remembered uh, the guys' names, but they have a they have a farm in Victoria. And I just I, over the winter I was out there and I went to one of their uh, one of their wild foraging like mushroom basically walks and mm-hmm. uh, and this this chef Tom cooked these super epic meals like this like mushroom bread and like all these different things and I'm sure you actually know them because I know Denis knows them right yeah, but yeah. Um, I think people have this like hesitancy of foraging because it's like you know we think that every little red berry out there is super <laughs> poisonous and it's going to kill us and yeah. every mushroom is going to kill us right but in this even in this mushroom talk they're like yeah if you see a thing and it like looks like what you think it is just take a little piece and chew on it and yeah. see what happens. Don't swallow it, but just chew. It's not going to kill you. Right, You totally. know, like, we can take a lot of, you know, stress, I guess, and that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it really comes down to this wild food intuition, you know, that we mm-hmm. all have inherent in us, but we just haven't trained. And, mm-hmm. in fact, we've done the opposite. We, we, yeah. We've trained out the fact that we can trust our instincts, that we can go out into nature, and that we can gather food uh one of my favorite herbalists uh he wrote a book well numerous books probably 15 i think he's written now uh one of them's called the lost language of plants and mm-hmm. in there he talks about this pivotal moment of of tasting wild water you know and coming mm-hmm. back to wild water uh, i mean we have a fear of wild foods i would say probably the fear of wild water is even higher so real <laughs> right and i remember being in elementary school i had two really close friends and they were twin boys danny and cody absolutely insane <laughs> and we were out in the forest one day and they were thirsty and so they just started drinking from the stream <laughs> right? and i was like what are you guys doing like you're gonna die like yeah but for sure they were fine yeah they were probably had better immune systems because of it you know yeah so it's, yeah that's just the funny thing yeah but what's up with that inherent like that just like inherent magic that we have and that inherent connection we have with right with plants yeah um there's a friend of mine, he describes herbalism is, is nothing more than the institutionalization of wild food intuition. Cool. Yeah, this codification, categorization, like, which is great and, and valuable. Uh, but even in herbalism, I think people often, you know, yeah, miss out or don't trust or don't develop that, that intuitive sense. Now, mm-hmm. don't be wrong, there's a, there's a huge part of herbalism, many schools that really emphasize that and teach that. Mm-hmm. But there's still very much this kind of you know, book learning. Mm-hmm. Like, this herb does this, you know, mm-hmm. like kind of a very Western standardized approach. Licensing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all good. You know, I think, you know, here's what I've, I've learned uh, in my approach to life, whether it's business, whether it's music, whether it's herbs, nutrition, anything. Uh, it's really about harmonizing of those, those two ways of knowing, mm-hmm. right? The, mm-hmm. the intuitive and the intellectual. Mm-hmm. Right or, or the rational, and some of which are our Western civilization really kind of emphasizes like rational 
thinking, mm-hmm. which is great. It's wonderful, mm-hmm. right? But what about the intuitive sense? You right. know, the in, the instinctive, and uh, we've we've so highly kind of praised that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's that that saying like um, "cogito ergo sum," right? I, I think, therefore I am, mm-hmm. and that's like. Then you get this. You know, the result of that is what Stephen Buhner describes as like, you know, the evolutionary escalator of those who think the most, mm-hmm. right? Mostly white male PhDs, you know, are, are the pinnacle mm-hmm. of, of all species, not just our own species, but all species um, versus, uh, and he breaks it down to this, you know, access into the intuitive side, the different way of knowing and being is from a heart sense or a gut sense, which is feeling oriented. Mm-hmm. Right, and there are three different types of feeling. There's uh, well, that uh, that mug is hot, mm-hmm. right? Or that you don't feel well, like oh, a little under the weather. Mm-hmm. But then there's also that third feeling, which is you know the heart, the gut, in this kind of more intuitive sense, is when you first meet someone, right? How, what's, what's their energy feel like, mm-hmm. right? Or you go into a restaurant and you're like, ah, it feels pretty good in here. Mm-hmm. Or you go into restaurants like eh, not loving the vibes here. Let's let's go. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. and uh, tapping into that, developing that. Um, again, two ways of knowing, two ways of being. And music is maybe the the best relatable, most relatable analogy. So, you know, I previous career, I guess one could say, absolute obsession for me was was music. Uh, anywhere from I think it was like twelve to nineteen. Wanted to do nothing but live, eat, and breathe music, mm-hmm. and that's all I did. And you know, when we think about musicians, uh, and especially growing up and learning instruments, uh, we all have the friend, and in this case, it was my wife. I can use an example. She grew up playing classical piano, mm. right? Conservatory, you know, sheet music, all the grades, doing recitals. I don't know what grade she went to, but she went, you know, high up the ladder and became very proficient at that style like mm-hmm. classical music like beautiful like complex like play things off the sheet amazing and then I had other friends like Yarrow and, and others that totally ear based mm-hmm. right like you ask them what G flat is and they have no idea <laughs> that's an exaggeration but you know what I mean yeah. right it's just all by ear all by heart all by feel incredible and uh, so I was a little bit more in that camp just kind of jamming, and I always kind of touch base, and I'm just like, oh, I should, you know, learn how to play some notes, and you know, break things down, think about it analytically, that kind of a thing. And then in this kind of quest to live, eat, and breathe music, nothing but, uh, you know, as I was finishing off school, with the expectation that you're going to go to post-secondary, mm-hmm. of course, to uh, you know, get good grades, to get a good job, to be paid well, so on and so forth. Uh, parents had the education fund, so. What are you going to major in? Yeah. I said, well, music. <laughs> and they were supportive enough to awesome. uh, allow me to follow that path. And uh, and maybe smart enough to know that I would have done it anyways. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I went to, uh, to college and uh, studied jazz music. And that was like a, a deep submersion into uh, the intellectual, analytical, you know, side of music mm-hmm. uh, and I wasn't alone um, in in going through that where it's 
this is what happens in life. We go on these pendulums, right? We're like, we're, we're over here, and then all of a sudden, like, we're over here. So deeply immersed in this world, uh, in trying to learn it, to understand it, and, and master it from that perspective, like how to read music, all the theory, everything like that, that uh, we actually had to have a facilitator come in and teach us how to play just one note. Oh, nice. Right? Help us reconnect to just that one note, right? Mm-hmm. And just feel it again. Feel mm-hmm. music. Because it got too heady. It was too intellectual. Okay. It's like, oh, did I play that right? Mm-hmm. What do you mean, did you play that right? You know, how did it feel? How did it sound? Well, there's a right way and a wrong way, isn't there? <laughs> and uh, so that was that kind of pendulum swing for me and, and many others. And, you know, the goal, I feel, is... So neither is right or wrong to be like completely intuitive or completely like intellectual, but I feel that the best, the mastery is, is both, mm-hmm. right? And jazz, to me, did represent that, where you have some of the most complex music, you know, from a structural standpoint, composition standpoint, uh, that's very can be extremely challenging to, to not only play, but to understand and play it really well. Yeah. Um, so jazz music is structured where you have what's called the head, which is, you know, the form of it. It sets up the structure, it sets up the, uh, the key and the, you know, chord patterns and all that stuff. So you play through that. That's what makes it recognizable. It's like, oh, this is, you know, that tune. And then all of a sudden, once that's done, it's like, boom, it's into solos, right? Mm -hmm. And it's the most like magical, spontaneous unfoldment of, yeah, of that intuition and that like intangible and that feeling your way through and just connecting mm-hmm. um yeah and a jazz musician can can be in both worlds at the same time mm-hmm. and, it, and it's that's what life to me now is all about it's a mastery of of both mm-hmm. so if we apply that to herbs or we apply that to nutrition right and i, I went through the same thing with nutrition you know, like this kind of flip-flopping of, of like i wanted to know it i wanted to understand it intellectualize it and even the beginning of my journey as a vegetarian was intellectually like i know i understand that this is the most pure diet this is the healthiest yeah. this is the most environmentally friendly it's the highest most righteous diet right intellectually but my body's like yeah something's off mm. you know like there's more more to this Mm -hmm. so coming back to my heart to my gut following my gut more than nutrition trends uh yeah now landing to being what i call an intelligent eater an intuitive eater Mm -hmm. harmonizing that otherwise you know i got very lost in kind of the science uh because really what is a bioflavonoid how can you connect to that Right, like you know, I don't understand. Okay, it's this. I got to make sure I have it in my diet. I got to have like eight point nine micrograms of blah, 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 blah. like you're going down the grocery aisle. Okay, it's very like heady and intellectual versus like you know that much more basic, intuitive, instinctual of just like ah, colors, smell, mm-hmm. richness, story. You know, like all that. So it's it's a harmony of of the two. So you know, with with herbalism, how can we? bridge that how can we maintain that intuitive sense and it's exactly what you said it's, it comes down to that that tasting that experiencing that that feeling as well as kind of knowing and understanding mm-hmm. yeah that's that's how we'll go the farthest because i mean it would be silly for me to say like well unless i've experienced it you know like i'm going to try every mushroom in the forest <laughs> <laughs> it's helpful to know i mean yeah. you could have a nibble but don't yeah don't eat too much of that one yeah. because of x y and z uh-huh. yeah yeah i think <laughs> that I, that is a valid way to to live life is to like 
just absolutely experience everything and decide for yourself. <laughs> but you're not really standing on the shoulders of all the giants that have come before. Right. You know? yeah, yeah. So it's like, I'm really grateful for all those people who did taste absolutely everything in the forest. Right. But, you know, then I'll, I'll kind of start where they left off. Right, exactly. Maybe. Yeah, kind of yeah. build on it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, I think the intuition thing is just, it's so, it's so foreign to so many people because, well, for example, in, in China or in, in India, you know, they have energy in their system you know, in their, in their system of knowledge, even in the way that the Chinese speak, it's like, oh, how are you feeling today? Oh, I have internal wind. It's like, oh, right, that you're angry. Oh, right. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but like over here, it's just so different. And it's like, oh, well, why are you angry? Well, this and this and this happened. Right. It's, all, it's also like, oh, yeah, but you've also been eating terribly for months and months and months. Yeah, yeah. So it's like bridging... Bridging those two worlds is like such an interesting thing, and I got to give you more kudos <clears throat> because and and the people here that present fermentation and that stuff because you guys are so knowledgeable, like through live knowledge, and you're so passionate that it's like impossible not to be inspired <laughs> when we see you guys presenting these things. Right. Cool. You know. Yeah. So yeah, just keep keep doing those kinds of things. <laughs> so here's a little, uh, at least when it comes to nutrition, uh, something I developed, uh, an acronym called a food scope, you know, like, like any lens, like a microscope or a telescope or anything. So mm-hmm. you can look at any food, any diet and know if it's right for you. Okay. So great. This, this little lens. And so it's what I call like the intelligent eating approach, which, which harmonizes these two different ways of, of being and knowing. So, uh, scope being the acronym. So the first being science, um, second being culture, third being uh, others, or or shall we say like observation of others, and then the fourth uh, P and E, which is personal experience, which mm. lands more of that intuitive. Um, now the question is, so if you could choose one, science, culture, observation of others, or your own personal experience, which which would you choose to rely on as your only lens to judge anything good for your body? For me, it would probably be the observation of others. Right. Cool. Well, and here's the good news, is you don't need to just choose one. Right. <laughs> it works best. All, all lenses together, uh-huh. right? But, you know, in, in asking that, it's like, oh, yeah, like, I was relying, like, too much on science, right? right. To tell me, is this good for me? Right. You know, like, uh, science is wonderful. It's amazing. It can tell us, like, what's in a food? What's, a, what's the effect of it on our bodies? That type of thing. Um, and each of these lenses kind of has... I want to call it a shadow side, but maybe something, you know, flip side that we need to be aware of, right? right? Like, especially food nutrition science, it's still very young, it's still very new. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much that we don't know, um, so we can't rely on it wholly and completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not science's fault, but somehow how science is done or presented, mm-hmm. right, in headlines. Right. Sometimes we only get the headline and we forget to go like, oh yeah, well, who was a part of that study and what were the other, you know, what, what were the participants like? What were the other factors in their lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, obviously it's, it's amazingly insightful and, and helpful to base, help base our decisions on. Mm-hmm. And we're all inspired by it. We all utilize it, right? Uh, culture. I might I might lean on that one if I, if I only had to choose one I might lean on culture and you know coming back to Terry Willard 
in my kind of journeys of uh, you know being vegetarian, traveling the world, trying to figure myself out, uh, I was in India for six months and came back just not well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I still hadn't quite quite figured out the food piece. I think I've gotten parasites. Like, I mean, the India is a tough place. Um, that's actually another ac- acronym. So a lot of people who go travel to India. Uh, do you know what India stands for? No, no, it's a, I'll never do India again. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Because um, most yeah. people I know that have been there have been there many times. It's true. So <laughs> yeah, some it's like they just keep going back. Absolutely love it. Yeah. But there's many, many people that I, I talk to. My wife is one. She, uh-huh. She's I'll never do India again. Uh-huh. Yeah, very, very challenging uh, place. But I mean, it, it's the extremes. It's everything. Yeah, all at once. Right. Um, so yeah, culture. So I'd been traveling. And uh, I went to like the Wild Rose like student clinic, you know. And there's there's Terry and there's me and there's like you know seven students sitting in the room, <laughs> and he's reading my tongue and doing the pulse and you know iridology and all this stuff. And uh, we were talking about diet, and he says, you know, Malcolm, says, if you're ever confused about what to eat, just go back to what your ancestors ate. Hmm. He says, what the Scottish? <laughs> <laughs> They're not known for their good diet, are they? Yeah. yeah. Well, of course, that's that's the modern Scottish diet, right? If we just go a generation or two back, I mean, every culture around the world has a good diet, right? Except our modern standard American diet, right? Every other culture, you know, they they figured it out what kept them well. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been healthy. They wouldn't have reproduced. They wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be here. Exactly. Um, does it mean it's a perfect diet? No, absolutely not, right? And, th- and that's maybe kind of the trap of cultures we can get into of just like, well, you know, or we imagine, oh, we imagine, oh this is how, how paleo should be, right? Yeah. And we, we, or we try and force, you know, something in the past and put it in the context of today. Well, my ancestors, you know, they would have woken up, they would have eaten bacon and eggs and a steak and this and that. And so that's what I'm going to eat. And then I'm going to get in my car and I'm going to drive downtown and <laughs> sit in my office all day long, right? Uh-huh. Like, <laughs> Well, sure, they might have eaten like that, but they certainly aren't living like you are right now. Right. Uh, and we have different, we're in different times, different stressors and different uh, things that we need to deal with and, and to be able to support ourselves with. Uh, and another key factor is access is different too, right? What we have access to, not only the knowledge, but also the food, the herbs, everything available to us. So yeah. I think, you know, as Michael Pollan put it, uh, New York Times bestseller food writer, uh, amazing, amazing author and, and thinker. He's really one of the guys that helped spearhead this whole, um, you know, farm-to-table movement and, and back to, like, real whole food on a, on a mainstream level. He, you know, he says, culture has more to teach us, you know, than government or uh, industry or... <laughs> I mean, it's a pretty obvious statement, but, you know, how often do we turn? Well, what does the food guide say now, right? What, right. What's the government saying we should eat? Yeah. Or what are the magazines saying I should eat? Yeah. You know, if we can look to culture... Uh, there's so much inherent knowledge and wisdom there, uh-huh. um, and that's a whole deep dive. So maybe we'll come back to culture. We can really dive into that and, and the things that we can learn from it. Yeah. Um, observation of others, uh, we all do it, right? Uh, in the sense of even as a kid, oh Wayne Gretzky Cheerios, you know, like that's <laughs> totally. what he eats. Huh? Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. So that's the dark side of that one. Uh, uh, we can often be misled, yeah. right? Uh, or we don't get the full context. I was really into uh, being a raw vegan, right? And I was so inspired by all these examples of all these people, their weight loss journeys, their cancer transformations, like 
this is clearly the way to eat. I mean, right. look at these people. Um, but then I was like, oh, wait a minute. How long have you been eating that for? Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, three years, <laughs> six months. Uh, you don't make decisions based on the rest of your life, you know, uh, on that short of a period. Mm. Uh, and then it became really uh, key as well, um, you know, as I moved through that journey, observing others, especially uh, children and mothers who were going down that path, experimenting, and it, it clearly was not working. That's that's not a diet for, you know, mothers and young. Uh, right. I think it can work for some folks. It can work definitely for a short period of time. It's more of like a cleanse, uh, but experientially and the observation of others, it's not something sustainable long term. Mm-hmm. But we can absolutely fast track our success. Like I never would have tried wild water had it not been for my friend. He's like, no, try it. That's what I do all the time, mm-hmm. right? It's like, okay. And it was amazing. Yeah, it is. So it's a, it's a key one, right? To There's another story of uh, this woman, Victoria Butenko, and she brought her family over from basically like Soviet Union uh, over to America, and they went from, you know, grocery stores being bare, like you get what you get kind of thing, very limited selection to, oh my gosh, like land of abundance, land of the free, like, and it's so scientific. Mm-hmm. You look on the back of the box and it tells you exactly the nutrients that are in there. It's been enriched. It's been this and that. And uh, they just they just went to town as, as one would, you know, mm-hmm. in, in kind of this, this abundance of, of food and, and the quality and da-da-da-da-da. And uh, every single one of them, their family, develops some sort of, quote-unquote, you know, like, lifelong disease that you know the doctor's like well you got diabetes and here's your medication and mm-hmm. you're overweight with hypertension and here's your medication uh and she so each one of them had this and uh, she didn't accept it she's like well there's got to be a better way i don't want to just be on pills the rest of my life and so how she started her journey figuring it out was literally she would start asking people she'd be in the lineup in the bank and she'd be like you look good, you know, like, what are you doing? I want to look like you. Oh, like, you got awesome. clear skin, you're, you're super vibrant, like, you're whatever qualities she found, like, healthy and attractive. She would literally just, like, stop them right then and there and, like, wow, ask them. Yeah, so that was part of her, her journey that helped her to get to where, where she was. And uh, so super powerful um, that we can utilize that as a lens and yeah. again it can help fast track but we always have to put it in context right we're not I, you and I are not the same our circumstances are not the same and you know, even ourselves as we go through kind of cycles of life stages of life is changing all the time be it the day be it the week be it the month be it the year uh, stage of life so on and so forth mm-hmm. so you can use that lens but always putting it into context and then personal experience coming back to like you know the mushroom analogy that we're talking about Super useful, but also has its limitations, right? Mm-hmm. Like you said, standing on the shoulders of giants, it would be silly to, you know, mm-hmm. not heed that knowledge, that wisdom, and yet it's also good to push it too, yeah. right? Like just because that's the established status quo doesn't mean, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, maybe there's a, a truth unhidden or maybe it's your own truth, your own experience. Right. So <clears throat> that's the idea of putting kind of all those lenses together. Yeah, and, and how we can kind of come out of this this dietary dogma. Yeah, beautiful. You know, I think the personal experience one is interesting. I think they're all interesting. Um, but because just because somebody else has studied something and made their conclusions, it doesn't mean they didn't miss anything. Right. So, you know, it's always worth it, like, doing a bit more digging into things that have been kind of tucked away. And I can't think of examples, but I know there are some, like, pretty big ones out there. Totally. And, and I, I would... 
you know, I, I like to use the analogy that uh, plants are like people, you know, in the sense of, of personalities. Uh, so, you know, if, if someone first meets you and there's like a, a common predominant characteristic of like, oh yeah, he's, he's a really chill guy, super calm, seems very grounded, seems very gentle, he's got a nice sense of humor, you know, like that is all true and yet you're so much more, there's so much more depth and complexity to who you are. Right, mm-hmm. and the more that I meet you, more that we hang out, more that I get to know you, you know, reveals more of who you are, and that's still only limited, you know, in my frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Right, it's not who you are, and so the same is with plants. As people meet Angelica, as, as they meet and begin to work with Dandelion, there's certain characteristics, traits that maybe we can all kind of agree on. It's like, yeah, that's really like astringent. It's very drying. It's very this. It's very that. But there's so much more depth. And it's, it's going to be different for every one of us. So we don't always want to put a plant in a box of, oh, it's this. Right. That's all it does. Mm-hmm. Plants are so much more deep and dynamic than that. Right. And then, like, yeah, compared to what, you know, just going back to the, uh, the, different, the different ways of thinking, you know, there's the logic and then there's the feeling. And it's best for both. It's like the same for plants with, you know, when it's paired with one thing, it might do have one use but if it's paired with one other thing or another thing then it's like completely different you know totally i mean we could take that into the uh you know the kind of person analogy it's like yeah whenever you're around you know denis (laughs) right or your lover i I see speaking french yeah (laughs) right i see a certain side of you right but then when you're around your your father you know like Uh i see another side of you Uh (laughs) yeah yeah i love that i would love to get your insight on um on like food as medicine and if you could comment on um you know the fact that basically all modern medicine is just synthesized forms of like plants or animal matter and right. that kind of stuff yeah totally <laughs> how could it how could it not be in the sense of like well where are we going to draw you know inspiration from uh-huh. uh and you're, you're just kind of a thought around like science which again we would put in that like completely rational you know logical intellectual side of thinking well how does how does science start Mm. starts with an an inference Mm -hmm. Mm. it's like i wonder you know this kind of like pulling it from the ethereal realm of just like possibility Mm -hmm. right and then bringing it into like proving it through that methodology i think uh for me is again that anchoring of well it's it's both Mm -hmm. you know so food is medicine yeah absolutely uh mushrooms are a great example of that or i guess i, sh- I should say more broadly the the kingdom of fungi mm-hmm. right I, I don't know the exact percentage but it's it's a huge percentage of the number of pharmaceuticals that have their origins in or from the fungi kingdom okay cool. right penicillin as right. An, as an example uh maybe the one of the kind of greatest examples of pharmaceutical medicine well it's a fungi yeah uh oyster mushroom is, is another example of uh c- contains naturally containing uh statins lovostatin mm. which we have a whole class of drugs based on that mm-hmm. you know the statin drugs and when you shift toward i think there's you know and, and this is one of those things i think it's it's an and right i'm not anti-pharmaceutical yeah i have my preferences you know like that i go towards more more natural and uh uh yeah, probably, I, I did a post about this recently where uh, my daughter, she's she's almost 18, 
And she's never taken a pharmaceutical in her life. Like nothing prescription, nothing even over the counter. Like not even a Tylenol or, or anything like that. Uh, and obviously she's blessed to have many circumstances in life where she's avoided that. Like mm-hmm. there's been no like major injuries or traumas or emergencies where, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and not even in the sense of like needing a, you know, dental filling, you know, yeah. cavity. Uh, I've had to take pharmaceuticals, you know, in her lifetime for fixing teeth issues. I haven't figured out, you know, <laughs> plant sources of going down that route or, or doing the Gandhi uh, mind over matter. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know how this is possible. Maybe it wasn't dental surgery, but there's a, there's a story about Gandhi who was having surgery of some type uh, without anesthesia, giving a discourse to his students at the uh-huh. same time. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, that's true, uh, you know, mastery of one's, one's body and, uh, yeah, feelings and emotions and all that. So there's, there's always a time and a place. Um, however, nature, it, it, comes, it comes whole. It becomes as a, as a complete package with cofactors versus just this is the thing and we're going to isolate it and extract it and, and just deliver that. There's a time and a place. But, you know, if we take something like vitamin C, it's often sold as, or the, yeah, the form of it is, is ascorbic acid. Mm. which is described as like the shell of vitamin C, whereas vitamin C is actually a complex as mm. it's found in, in nature. Mm-hmm. And there's minerals and there's cofactors and all these things that are that make a part of it and make up the, the synergy that it is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, go, in, go into the, the source, food, be it plant, animal, fungi. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, more uh, rounded, holistic. Uh-huh. So after after music school and that kind of stuff, what was your uh, what was your entrance into like the real study of the the world of herbs and yeah fungus and things? Oh, cool. Okay. Um, So it was as I was pursuing you know music, uh, it was always there, kind of on the side. Just again, Mm -hmm. how do I you know make so I don't have to like take a nap at three o'clock in the afternoon and feel Mm -hmm. like I have some energy and some color in my face. Uh, so that was always just kind of a personal journey with music being the focus. And then I came out of music school, uh, again, hitting that pendulum where that's, I thought if I can do this, right, if live, eat, live and breathe music, uh, then that's it. I'll, I'll be happy. I'll be, I'll be set. And basically having, you know, achieved that, I felt like, oh, that's not really it actually. And uh, so uh, then came the next journey, which shifted me more into yoga and meditation and this kind of personal or deeper like soul searching. Um, Yeah, because when you realize that the one thing that you absolutely love that you thought, if I could only do this, that'll fulfill me and make me happy. Mm. When you get to do that and then you realize, well, that's not it. (laughs) You got to go deeper. And uh, so... I literally, I gave away everything. Um, yeah, I, you know, when people move, they have going away parties. I had a giving away party mm, <laughs> where I, I even gave away my drum kit. Um, uh-huh. I'm not sure what, you know, if you had one, if what might have stuck out is like, oh, I was actually kind of attached to that, but I still gave it away. I remember it was my mushroom ID book. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> that I gave away to Yarrow, <laughs> in fact. <laughs> it was a nice, big, thick book. Uh, that one went to him and I lived on my backpack for the next, it was probably about two or three years. Uh, just literally 
traveling wherever the wind would take me, uh, hitchhiking, and I, yeah, had begun to get into yoga. I uh, read a few books in high school, and again, it was all like from a base of music, right? Getting into like um, crazy like jazz, rock, fusion, that led to like cultural influences like Shakti, John McLaughlin. Uh, I was never into the Beatles, funny enough. Hmm. I don't know. My dad never... I was very influenced musically like by my dad. And uh, yeah, I wasn't until... In, I wasn't in until I was in college that I actually listened to the Beatles, hmm. uh, which seems like an obvious, especially with the whole Eastern influence and all that stuff. They were a much, a much, much later arrival for me. Hmm. Uh, so anyways, that music had an influence listening to different artists and what they were into. Uh, and I read the book, uh, Autobiography of a Yogi mm-hmm. by Paramahansa Yogananda. And, uh, yeah, I had moved to Vancouver. I was just living with some friends in a house there and there was a little meditation center just down the road. So I was going there like several times a week meditating with them. And then I left to go down to California and stay at one of their centers. I've always had this like inspiration, like go to the source, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you yeah admire an artist or listen to them like how can you meet them how can you study with them Mm -hmm. read a book about somebody whatever it was so I did that and it was funny being there Uh, I met a lot of really interesting people I was staying at the place where uh, a lot of the monks were and a lot of the men who were really into it who were considering becoming monks would go and like stay Mm -hmm. Uh, funniest story kind of aside related unrelated uh, one of the monks there was uh, a total deadhead. It's <laughs> the best kind of monk. <laughs> For sure. So here's a guy that supposedly is, is renounced everything in the world. He's become a monk. Yeah. Except for his Grateful Dead collection. Yeah. And he had this like secret room in the back. <laughs> secret room. Teddy bears everywhere. Totally. And just like decked out with tie-dyes. A complete like sound system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we'd, we'd get into the, you know, into yeah. some journeys of, with the dead. And uh, he also traded on the stock market, too. They were, uh, sure, that yeah, great. That particular order of monks were all good about, like, making cash. And uh, he supported the organization. Uh, it was pretty wealthy in that way. Yeah. But um, the biggest disconnect for me, because uh, I was, okay, here I am in this, like, really spiritual place, like, all these monks around. And there were some amazing people. There was this one guy, brother, Bhimalananda. He was the kind of guy that you would, you know, you'd just walk along the path. Like, oh, brother, you know, like, you, you can feel him coming up behind you. And, well, yeah. you know, you, you have no idea. Um, yeah, just a real kind of potency of... Yeah, spiritual energy uh, to this guy. But the big disconnect was, uh, so in where the food piece ties in, is because I'd go to these different ashrams, yoga centers, meditation centers, and I would, you know, I didn't have money or anything, so I'd, I'd serve, and i typically serve in the kitchen and or the garden. So mm-hmm. that was really kind of a foundation that connected those two worlds. Mm-hmm. And of course, it was right in line with my philosophy at the time of being vegetarian and, and so on and so forth. But down there, it was a bit big disconnect that you know I'd go and one of my jobs was to uh, I wasn't there very long like six weeks or something like that and uh, to fertilize the avocado and citrus trees <laughs> and in order to do this I had to put on a gas mask and gloves and like oh. overalls and you know get into these bags that had you know California 
cancer warnings on them, and, yeah. and, and it just seems like, this doesn't seem right, you know? And uh, so anyways, I left there, and then the next place I found myself was on Salt Spring Island, mm-hmm. which was uh, kind of the next level up in terms of still spiritual yoga community, in the kitchen, in the garden, uh, but it was run by uh, a man named Dan Jason, who's a seed saver. Oh, and cool. uh, I mean, this guy grew, you know, 60 different types of garlic. Uh, Amazing. Yeah, all his like seed stock, and he had, you know, eighty different types of tomatoes and all these different kinds of lettuce and all this stuff. And so cool. And it was like, wow, okay, that's this is where it's at. You know, like yeah. honoring the earth, creating this quality, this abundance. Is he still there? Uh, he's still on Salt Spring. I don't think he's affiliated with the the yoga center anymore. Okay. But yeah, I think he's still still doing his thing, like growing growing seed. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, of all these like heirloom varieties. So cool. Yeah. So there was, so the question was, you know, the leap from music to herbs. Mm-hmm. Well, there was this kind of path of spirituality, you know, soul seeking, whatever one wants to call it, uh, threaded in between. So hopping from different, you know, ashrams and different philosophies and practices and whatever. The thing that I really kind of anchored into was Vipassana. Cool. As soon as I first heard about it, I was like, oh, 10 day silent retreat, you know, like meditation. Like you get up at 4 a.m. and you might go to bed at 10 p.m., right? But you're meditating the entire time. That sounded incredible to me. So it took me about like nine, 10 months before I, from hearing about it to sitting my first course. Uh-huh. But as soon as I sat, I just, I stayed. I was like, okay, I'm not going anywhere. And uh-huh. I just like, I became the manager of the, center in Washington uh, and helped run that for six months and that was like 10 day retreat after 10 day retreat just all these groups through Uh, so I was literally meditating anywhere from you know four to 14 hours a day um, doing that and it was it was such a bizarre juxtaposition being in the the middle of kind of rural Washington uh, in a place called Onalaska uh, home of the Onalaska Loggers High School <laughs> team, okay. where we'd, to go get supplies, we'd have to go like to the local, you know, Walmart, Costco, those types of trips in between all these like deep immersive meditative retreats, yeah. and uh, yeah, and then that was fun, and then the uh, and profound, and then the kind of Goenka, the uh, the teacher of that tradition was coming through on a tour mm. so uh, a guy that I was co-managing with uh, he had a little VW and uh, we hopped in that and we followed Goenka around North America fun. <laughs> going to each of his lectures yeah. and uh, just med- meditating and then from there went to uh, India Nepal and Burma oh, wow. just to go even deeper yeah. to the source and yeah, coming out of that, so during that time, uh, I, every once in a while I'd come back to Calgary to, you know, live with mom for a month or two, get a job, mm-hmm. work for a couple of weeks, and then <laughs> go traveling again. Because, you know, I suppose, I guess I needed to make some money every once in a while to, uh, you know, pay for a bus ticket or yeah. or that kind of thing. And so that's when I was back here, and I was... I ended up working at a health food store, um, and then that's where I met Laura. And uh, it's one of those things of just like, you know, when you know, like I never dreamt about like soulmates, or I had no like, I mean, at that stage of my life, I was thinking about being a monk, you know, like well, yeah. <laughs> as as uh, 
fantastical and unrealistic as that was, that was more in my mind than like, oh, I'm going to meet my soulmate and, right. you know, or even have any fancier terminology around that. But I just couldn't deny it. Just like, I was like, wow, hello, hello. We're going to spend the rest of our life together. Really? And uh, so we finished up work here. She had heard about Vipassana. She was thinking of doing it. And uh, so we went out, we sat a course together and then we spent the next uh, almost a year and then she joined me on the journeys to, we went to Scotland, England, India, Nepal, um, amongst traveling around BC and whatever, all with this meditation focus. So by that time, this had been at least two years, I'd been deeply immersed, I'd kind of let music go and I was feeling again another, another shift that okay, this is all great, this is all fine, this is wonderful, uh, but there's something more. Mm-hmm. You're not going to become a monk, you know, like this it wasn't so clear in, in those words, but um, yeah. So what did become clear was, uh, and Laura told me this afterwards, but we had arrived in India and, okay, we're there for the next six months. Every single night, without fail, she had a recurring dream of returning home pregnant. And, uh, well, that came true. <laughs> How did that feel the first time you heard about that dream? <laughs> it's like, can you tell me now? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, totally. It felt prophetic. It felt, you know, completely in line. And, and even though, again, I didn't have a dream of like, oh, I'm going to have kids and raise a family. And um, I had felt some shift coming that like, okay, as much as you're into this whole meditation thing, like, that's good, that's cool. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of these traditions, even back to Yogananda, even Goenka, um, those traditions were very much about actually being a householder and being in the world. Mm. Um, and that, you know, yeah, sure, there might be some people that will become monks and that's their path, but really that's not the point right now. And so really out of that, uh, came to terms with and kind of developed this, like, philosophy, this ethos in, in, in the world, uh, where I had been trying to avoid it, right? Where I had, you know, again, born and raised in Northwest Calgary and just seeing the kind of like, I don't know how I would describe it at that age, but like just the insanity of just like this style of life, this path of life, not wanting anything to do with it, knowing that it's like inherently destructive, da 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 trying to escape it as much as possible. Uh, and and really just not participate, not have any influence on the world mm-hmm. uh, to this kind of 180 to, you know, be in the world to help change the world. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I, I suppose maybe we could have taken a little bit more of a side path. We did explore, like, okay, do we just get some land in BC and be farmers and just kind of continue to live out the system? Or do we fully, like, embrace it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and be in it to change it? And... Uh, yeah, so, you know, having a child come, and, uh, you know, Laura joked, she's just like, well, I got this uh, meditating hippie of a husband with a jazz music degree, uh, <laughs> I think I might be the provider in this relationship. <laughs> um, so we would have made it work, but that's that's when the shift came. So I uh, came back, I had all this kind of personal knowledge and experience uh, in the kitchen, exploring nutrition. So I was at a crossroads in life mm-hmm. of like, okay, you know, we're going to go back, we're going to live with family, we're going to have this baby, and I'll, you know, put my pants on and, uh, you know, provide in, in the most kind of creative and fulfilling way I could, I could find. So I was either going to go to baking school mm-hmm. or I was going to study nutrition. Cool. So I chose to study nutrition. 
it was the the candida talking back then that <laughs> might have had me go to baking school. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So yeah, in in you know choosing to go to nutrition school was just kind of like a formalization of everything I'd been learning. Uh, you know, fill in some holes, some gaps of of maybe what I hadn't totally covered in uh, yeah self study mm-hmm. and just ultimately formalizing the path. So it was only a 10-month program. Worked at the health food store while I was there to kind of get some practical experience again, just engaging with people, helping them with their nutrition advice, that kind of a thing. Um, And still on this kind of vegetarian kick, uh, which was getting pretty close to becoming more vegan. I was really into raw foods, became a raw vegan. And then I took the family down to uh, Arizona and went and lived at a retreat center that uh, one of my, at the time, one of my favorite authors, Gabriel Cousins, written a whole bunch of books, went and lived at his place. So I did a cool. three-month kitchen apprenticeship uh, because one thing I got out of nutrition school is I actually didn't want to be a nutritionist, <laughs> you know? Yeah. The, the most standard path of nutrition school is, well, you know, here's your, your diploma and, you know, go be a consultant, and you know, help people fix people's problems nutritionally. Uh, and I realized I didn't want to do that. Um, I loved hands-on preparing things, so I thought, oh, you know, chefing, you know. And so, three-month kitchen apprenticeship, be a raw food chef. Uh, did that, and then we ended up staying for another year down at that center, where then I turned around and I taught that program. Sweet. And Laura, she, uh, along with having you know an infant, uh, she helped in the sprout house so she ran the sprout house growing all the sprouts mm. and then uh, not a lot of people know this but she's actually a second generation colon hydrotherapist oh wow yeah <laughs> when Laura and I first met uh, yeah her, her mom was giving people colonics Laura was learning the trade and uh, so you know it wasn't quite our first date but early on <laughs> <laughs> yeah I got colonics from her and uh, was introduced in, in her family and you know their whole journey of learning about food nutrition for themselves because a lot of the kids had allergies and alternative diets like eating cashew milk in the 80s and whatever um yeah i learned a ton uh from them and and that influence so laura was doing colonics down there i was teaching the raw food program and yeah it was great so and that really solidified a lot uh in terms of knowledge in terms of experience it's where i learned how to ferment it's where i learned how to make chocolate Mm. and then when we came back to calgary uh again we were still thinking like yeah we'll probably just go to bc you know it's more our vibe um but family was here so you kind of land here and then Mm. we take a trip out to bc and just like you know we'll know it when we when we're there right Mm. we'll we'll go visit some friends in the kootenays and maybe we'll go to the coast but you know we're just going to show up somewhere and it's going to speak to us like thing like this is the spot and here's your home and da 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 all line up you know never happened (laughs) great trips good friends visiting come back to calgary get a little bit deeper into what we're doing here which was um you know after having been immersed in that world just it wasn't it didn't exist in calgary and usually up until that point that was always the motivation to leave right the grass is always green let's go find our tribe and you know go join uh the community we want to be a part of Whereas suddenly that became the opportunity. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, if we can stay here, like, let's stay, let's create it. And uh, so, yeah, well, that's, that's like when that, you know, personal journey of food, nutrition, herbs, then emerged into kind of a business. And uh, then that was a whole journey. 
uh, I get into things deep um, as I get into them. So then, then this next journey then became about business. Because when I first started, um, again, having been in Arizona, had all these connections, met all these people, introduced all these like new foods, like cacaoans and goji berries and whatever. Uh, in Calgary, there was one store at the time that carried uh, cacao powder for $55 a pound. I was like, man, I know where to get this for like $9 a pound. Hmm. So I brought it up and sold it for 54 No, I didn't. I brought it up and I sold it for 10 <laughs> And then I was like, wait a minute. I don't think I covered my cost of shipping or, you know, yeah. like my time to divide it all up or, or anything like that. Yeah. And uh, so then that became the journey to then figure that, figure that part of it out. Right. And, you know, especially of the mindset, the mentality, all, a lot of the cultural programming I'd been through, especially with like spiritual communities, um, even the eco-consciousness, you know, business is bad, right? Like marketing is like, I took a course in, uh, well, I didn't voluntarily take it in college. You know, you have to do these like other courses. Well, yeah. All I wanted to do was music, but you have electives and you have to do English. And you know, this one semester, I didn't sign up for anything soon enough. So I got forced into marketing. And, uh, man, I left on the first day, this fucker talking about, you know, Coca-Cola and, like, whatever, I'm out of here. <laughs> Anti-capitalist, all this. And uh, so I had a lot of, like, programming and conditioning around how I viewed business and what that meant. Yeah. And so that became a big, big path to kind of write my, my view of that. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And, again, it ties into that, you know being in the world to help change the world and you know we say like we vote with our dollar and I think right. it's our most powerful influence that we have on the world is you know how we show up what what do we support what do we put our energy towards you know in that form of of money which is just a or currency which is just a, a symbol a representation of that uh, do you think that would be one of your biggest uh, biggest piece of advice for for you know, creating change right now is really take that seriously of voting with our dollar. Yeah, totally. Yeah, for sure. I, I think, you know, one of the best things we can do for ourselves as well as for creating the world we want to live in is, is creating a business and understand that not everyone has the ability to do that, the inclinations, the, the skills, the resources. Um, so, you know, we've all got to work. We've all got to contribute some way. We live in this kind of fiat tax system, which is forcing us to, you know, earn dollars to, you know, use those as our main meaning, medium of exchange. Uh, so aligning with a business that aligns with your values and everything, mm -hmm. right? So because we spend so much of our time, whether you're just a worker, employee, or an entrepreneur, you know, working and investing that time. So why not align it? And it comes back to that question of like, you know, is healthy food like worth it? Preparing your own food. Yeah, it's so fulfilling, yeah. right? When you work and you're engaged in a livelihood, that's, that's fulfilling, that's meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. I just started doing, recent, really recently, a couple of months ago, baking bread. Okay, cool. And it feels so good. <laughs> it tastes so good. Yeah. Yeah, so there is just so much fulfillment of like getting your hands in the... In the kitchen, or yeah, you know, or in any part of your life that gives you a bit more—not really control, but like a bit more say, you know, in what's in what's happening. Yeah, yeah. So business to me is about you know taking those types of things, 
like where you are, you know, fulfilled, you're like creative, mm-hmm. uh, literally creating, you know, you're creating value uh, of other things that people want and, and bringing it to the market, you know, and, and this currency is just, just the medium of exchange that we've all agreed upon, yeah. you know, forcibly or otherwise to use to exchange, but it's about solving problems and providing experiences. Right. It's all businesses, you know, creating value. Yeah. I'm glad you stayed on the business because I would, I would, it's so funny. There's so many things I could get advice from you on and we did not at all talk about talking about business, <laughs> but uh, what would you, what would, what would some advice be for, cause uh, I, I, I myself even go through this of like trying to, trying to merge the two worlds of being in service, Yeah. you know, and wanting to just give it all away for free because right because we have big hearts or whatever yeah. but then also like we also need to live and you know the more we receive the more we can give right so what's what's a way that people in you know in conscious communities or whatnot how can they bridge that world of like valuing their time yeah you know and also staying in their own integrity right yeah I think it really comes down to you know the stories we have about money changing those fundamentally um, because you will never become what you despise, mm. right? If you're like, ah, the filthy rich, right? All these like terminologies that we have, and rich mm-hmm. bastards, or right? Um, yeah, I had to do a lot of like deprogramming of, of what I thought about money, what I thought about wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, money is just neutral, right? It's not inherently good. It's not inherently bad. It's a tool that can be used for good or for evil, bad, whatever you want to describe it. Uh, but it's a very powerful tool, right? Voting with our dollar, but we're talking about that. So why wouldn't you want more of that to be able to have more positive effect on the world? Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's so many other kind of nuances to that, questions we can ask, kind of reprogram ourselves around money, what that is, uh, and really kind of get to the fundamental of it's a tool, it represents value, and that we want to contribute value want to create things the world uh and that money or currency we can even get into that it's maybe a bit of a side tangent what's the difference between money and currency uh because these dollars these bills in our pockets aren't money they're currency it's just Mm -hmm. a symbol of representation um yeah that was a tangent i lost my thought there on but yeah um yeah getting our our mind around that uh and yeah, it's just that tool, it's that exchange. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's more to go on that thread, but I've lost it for now. <laughs> Didn't need to have it. Yeah. Beautiful. What is uh what is something that you're super interested in right now that like maybe you don't have a full grasp on that you're like excited to dig deeper into? Oh, yeah, good question. Well, I think there's still a little bit more to the kind of the money and the economics. I don't know what it is. To use a rather crude word, I think it's a bit of a mental masturbation for me in the sense of just like, I don't know, I'm, I'm somehow like intellectually like stimulated by that whole topic. Sweet. Um, like macroeconomics and yeah, everything that kind of is involved with that even, you know, debt and the history of it and Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. So I've been on that path for quite a while and I I keep being fascinated by it. 
and I listen to a lot of people in podcasts that you know have a real command of of the topic and all the terminology and I can follow along but I'm not at a level of I guess it's maybe not my uh, area to, to speak eloquently on mm-hmm. at least to the degree that I like learning about it mm-hmm. um, so that I want to keep continuing down into um, for me I think another kind of area to keep exploring is is the physical body mm-hmm. uh, and clarifying it's more like the movement piece I think is next for me cool. um, you know health is is achieved through you know diet and, and movement among mm-hmm. many other things mm-hmm. right but those two being really key I've seen kind of especially being in the nutrition world where one can kind of get tunnel vision of like well the only way to health is just eat your way there yeah. <laughs> right uh, where you know quite clearly uh, exercise is, is just as important um, so that I want to give my own personal uh, more attention to yeah beautiful yeah is there anything with um, like with the light cellar in general that you look forward to creating or um, you know something like I don't know maybe you have Maybe you could see the value and would like to open like more of a cafe style because I know we have the elixir bar, right? Totally, kind of stuff. But yeah, so yeah. What, what kind of visions do you have for the light seller? Right. Okay. Good question. Yeah, I can answer that in two ways, um, and partly relates to the business aspect because you know I've been on this journey of it's been successful, and I don't get it quite as much anymore, but it's still I would say at least one time per month there was a period there it was like at least once a week I'd get somebody to like ask me like oh you gotta open up a second location mm. you're doing so well you should have these across the country you got a franchise and you know in business there's often times this yeah I mean this is I think this is what you know David Suzuki described modern economics being a severe form of brain damage that <laughs> it's always just this perpetual more is better and just growth right. growth 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 and so I've constantly had to come up, you know, to face that both from outer requests as my as well as my own maybe resistance. I would say less mm. so. I definitely have less the aspirations just to like you know what I'm I'm good I'm content. Um, and we did try a second location uh, and it was fine, but it it kind of proved to me like why I don't have one and why I don't I'm not putting making that the top priority I'd rather do one really well Uh, I created this business you know born out of my lifestyle to support my lifestyle and though it's absolutely grown beyond that and it's just not centric to me and that's that balance of just like well think of all the people in the south you could be helping (laughs) you know it's not just about you Malcolm Um, you know it's like and it is you know like I don't have you know the time the energy or the inspiration to to grow it in that way. Um, and I want to say I will never franchise, but I'm much closer to that statement than right. the other way. Uh, so there's aspects of this business that, yeah, can grow and develop. Online is is a big one, whether it's teaching online, the classes, uh, or having things ship. Uh, there's more to the in-person experience. I would like to offer more uh, food Mm-hmm. Um, that's been a challenge to navigate uh, just through the whole, you know, restrictions and yep. all that stuff. Like, we currently don't have indoor seating at all, um, whereas we did before, but we had to remove it. So if that opens back up, then uh, that's a potential 
And then the other thing, too, I'm finding personally very fulfilling is uh, continuing to have a hand in making things here. So this is something that the journey of, of myself as a business owner, and, and many people go through this, is uh, in the beginning you do everything, mm-hmm. right? You are the packager, you are the shipper receiver, you are the accountant, you are the website developer, and, uh, you know, a little bit of advice for anybody that does have a business that is this kind of solopreneur is uh, don't hire out too late, but also don't hire out too early. Hmm. Um, There's a lot of people who are kind of stuck in that control mode of, you know, I I do everything right or I need to do everything, and that, that limits your growth and your ability. Um, so, you know, hire out those pieces that someone else could do better or you're just uninspired about, I'm not an accountant, you know? Um, and there's tons others that other people have come along and and done way better than me. And so I've done well in in hiring that out. However, there's a risk in also hiring out too early. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's like, well, the fact that I don't like looking at the numbers and the accounting, right? If... If I hire that out too early, I don't have an understanding. I haven't done due diligence in that realm of the business to be able to understand it. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a blind spot I could be taken advantage of or, you know, whatever. Any number of circumstances where I don't have kind of a, a command over it, even just observationally, intellectually. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's necessary to go through all those phases. Uh, I don't make the chocolate every day all the time uh recently we've just added a new you know but i did right so starting it and then passing on to someone else and that process has its own journey uh and then we recently launched or launching a new series uh of origin bars so different origins around the world our chocolate right now is is based around having different medicinal mushrooms and a certain process that we create it uh and then this came as a new direction so I had a hand in creating these brand new bars and uh, someone else will continue it on so what I've really been enjoying getting my hands dabbling into that but then also uh, doing a lot of the herbal preparations so wild foraging turning into tinctures turning into hydrosols syrups doing different extraction methods a lot of that is is me right now, which I'm, I'm loving and, and continuing to uh, grow, and uh, that'll slowly get transitioned on to, to somebody else. Mm-hmm. To then make room for you bringing on, or like exploring new avenues. Yeah, I something else. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. You didn't say it outright, but I love the idea of like a light seller academy. Right. Where it's like maybe subscription based and then people can access the fermentation teachings and right. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. Oh, good. Thanks for pulling that out the ethers. That's, yeah, yeah it's, it's been on my mind for a long time. Like I don't necessarily see it so formal as like, let's say Wild Rose, like, you know, right. established right. school, institution, come here, get certified. Mm-hmm. But there's some more structure to it than just a random like class here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this kind of cohesive package. So yeah, that's that's on the horizon. I don't know when or but yeah, it's yeah, good. It's super cool. And I also love that uh that you did experiment with the with the two locations and you know, this is again that experiential learning where you have to do it to see if it works for you, right? Right. And I, I see that, you know, there is absolutely no disservice even to the south of Calgary. Um, by just having one location because again it requires people to like 
appreciate and invest in their health, you know? Right. Whereas, like, you know, there's a lot of us that drive an hour one way to go get water. Right. You know, so we're willing to do that. So people should be willing to drive yeah, yeah. half an hour to yeah, make it know, a journey. get all their nutrition and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the one thing that, so the number one feedback we got uh, from the second location, uh, so it was in Inglewood inside another grocery store, just so small little kind of like mm-hmm. pop up. Mm-hmm. And uh, number one feedback we got is it's very convenient. Uh, and it's like, oh, interesting. That's not what we value, right? Yeah. Like we're not a convenience business. We're not based, that's nowhere yeah. in our anything, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, we're about quality. We're about, you know, education. We're about the experience. And, you know, that, that wasn't happening. Uh-huh. It was convenience was number one. And yeah, oh, wow. yeah, the staff didn't like being there and it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't, the, the experience wasn't there for staff or customers. Right. So it became really clear. It was like, okay, time to, to shut it down because we're not fulfilling our purpose here. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense, uh, especially for like the staff side, not in really enjoying being there because I know, um, you know, I was hanging out with, with Mark, you know, of Mark and Simone just yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he, because uh, I was sharing how you know I have intentions to to apply here, and Mark was sharing that every single time Simone would come home, she came home with more energy and was happier and right. was just more alive. Yeah, and so like I know that's why so many people are so you know so excited about working here and being a part of the team is that it's so fulfilling. Right. You know, and whether that's just. I don't, I don't think it's, it's not one thing at all. You know, it's not, it's not even just because it's, it's your thing, you know, it's, you know, you certainly created the space, but it's also, you know, the community that comes here totally. and the products and like all these different things. So I guess it kind of is because of you. But, uh. Well, the, it's so much more. It really yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I always tell people when I first hire them too. Uh, and I get it. It's it's hard to kind of keep this top of mind, and we can kind of fall into grooves and ruts and that kind of thing. Is I say, you know what? Like as soon as you're not feeling this, as soon as you like feel like more tired at the end of your day, like you should have been gone a long mm-hmm. time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for you <laughs> and and for me, right? In that space, like because why waste another day doing something that you don't love, that you don't feel that inspiration, yeah. and that's what creates this place. You know, is is that everyone is here, like fully inspired, fully activated. That creates the experience, and I get it. it doesn't need to be like a nine point five every single day, mm-hmm. but if you find that, you know, like ah, I'm even down at kind of a six, like, you know, that's the point. That's the and it's all good. Like time to move on. Like no hard feelings. All good. Just follow your passion, your inspiration. And I really don't. I don't. I don't want to say I don't care, but you know, the goal for me isn't. You know, how long will you stay here? Like, it could be two weeks, two months, or two years, or two decades, mm-hmm. right? It, it's that quality mm-hmm. uh, of and that level of inspiration that, that someone has to be here. Like, that is, is paramount and what makes things mm-hmm. work. That's beautiful. I think one of the most important things of, of whether a workspace is fulfilling or not is is the upper the upper levels the owners and the management so right it's no it's no wonder that people love it here you're doing a really good job yeah um i would love to ask you perhaps a final question so and and on that note i'll just say um i've done this to a certain degree i've got i don't think i i think it's still available but i'm not 
putting any focus or emphasis on it, on it how it was. Um, but one thing that I had shifted into as, as a focus and as an offering to the world was um, kind of business, marketing, training, all that type of thing. So I, I put a keynote together uh, called uh, Peace, Love, and the Bottom Line, uh, success, success Secrets from a Hippie CEO. Uh, cool. Yeah, it was like an hour and a half keynote. Um, and that was a thing of the past, but something else is also coming down the line to share what I've learned and gathered from here. Sweet. So, you know, where I've said I would never franchise, I would much rather see somebody else with their own inspiration, creativity, like come up with their own version of whatever it is. Right. If it's a restaurant or a store or a herbal practice or whatever, there's certain kind of key principles um, that I've learned through here that I can pass on that might help enliven whatever anybody else is doing. So that's coming. That's beautiful. Thank you. Point. Thanks for following the calling to do that. Yeah. So I think that's that's like a real natural cycle of, you know, when we dive into something and we get so inspired with it, we like have no choice but to, but to share what we've learned with the next. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Okay, what what advice would Malcolm, 10 years in the future, give Malcolm 20 years in the past? Right, well, hey. Um, yeah, I think, well, I think there's two parts to it. There's the what I can recognize has worked well, you know, like, keep following your heart, keep following your passion, don't be afraid to make mistakes, you know, like fumble forward, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. figure it out <laughs> as you go. Um, and and maybe I'm going further in 10 years, but that's cool. I think everybody comes to this, this moment of like, did you really focus on what was important? Mm. You know, like it's so easy to get distracted, it's so easy to get lost in details. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really to you know, know that, embody it. Yeah, mm-hmm. every day. That's beautiful. So, what, okay, another one. Um, what? There's a there's a lot of push out there for people to like find their purpose, right? So, what do you think that is like? What do you think having purpose is, or what do you think living our purpose is? Yeah, totally. Okay, so this reminds me a little bit of what I pulled into that talk that I did, which is aligning purpose, passion, and profits. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can and you should right. align all three. Like we come from a world, a paradigm where we see, especially maybe the world that you and I come from, we look at a lot of people with a bunch of profit and go like, oh damn, you know, like they've totally sacrificed, you know, their their purpose and their passion just in the pure mm. pursuit of profit and there's a lot of people that are pursuing their their purpose and their or maybe just their passion and they're not on purpose and they not they don't have the profit mm-hmm. i think the ultimate is we can and we should line up all three um, that's the ultimate the most fulfilling so mm-hmm. uh purpose is you know like what are you what are you here to do like what big holes in the world you know do you see have you struggled with yourself you mm-hmm. know that that you've gotten success at that you've achieved that you could turn around and share with somebody else mm-hmm. and I think 
in that path as I think about my own, you know, with whether it was music or herbs or nutrition, you know, we were always looking forward to, to learn and you're always keeping going deep, 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 like, oh yeah, like <laughs> want to you know, learn more of this and get you more trained at that and excel at this and become more expert. Um, and you're always looking forward to, you know, greats, like those shoulders, the giants that you stand on, like, like, wow. And there was a shift in me at one point of just going, but wait a minute, you know, I might think I'm, I'm this small and I really don't know that much, but if I turn around, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of people here that, that don't, they don't know that they're, they're not as far along in the journey and I can help them with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is kind of the, the purpose Right and yeah, I think the passion has got to be there. Um, there's a lot of things I'd love to do, but maybe don't have that deeper purpose of like changing the world, mm-hmm. you know, making the world a better place. Um, yeah, and if we can profit at it, in the sense that we're help, we're solving problems, providing experiences, creating value in the world, you know. Your, your worth, your net worth, your self-worth, all that goes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And correct me if, uh, if you disagree, but I don't think purpose can be rushed or forced. Right, no. Time and place. And- yeah, totally. That's, that's great. And uh, I fully 100% agree with that. And there's so many points in my life where I felt so frustrated with myself yeah. because I knew I just wanted to do it. I just wanted to like... I have so much potential, I, but I just didn't know what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just wasn't the time. Right. So I think that's maybe where partly passion comes in first. It's like if you can right. follow yeah. your passions, it might not be your purpose. Um, you know, everything that I learned through following my passion with music, yeah. even though it wasn't, didn't end up being my purpose you know, enrich me. Like I learned how to learn. I learned how to like go deep and dive in and like, you know, and I tested myself, pushed myself like to the nth degree because I was so passionate about it that then when, what, when I did eventually discover my purpose, I already had that drive and that ability and that work ethic and everything, um, from following passions. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And that, that, that really does, uh, does encompass this this question but um, I'd love if you would comment on it specifically is that like <clears throat> so I know people specifically have a you know a younger a younger sister who's also a client and um, she's feeling that you know she's like she's just working at a supermarket right now and yeah. she's feeling this like I know there's more yeah, like for me in my life to do, and I'm just like you're 20, like just yeah. <laughs> but it's like that is not something a 20 year old who we were all there. We feel like adults when we're 20. Yeah, totally. we feel ready to conquer everything. So yeah. like, what do we tell people in that in that category? Yeah, yeah. I think it's that that patience, that persistence. Yeah, it'll it'll eventually come, uh-huh. and it's such a great feeling. When it does, uh-huh. and then you're you're fully on it, and I think there's there is something to that kind of cycle of life, you know. Like twenty, you're sort of technically an adult, but you're not really, you know. Like right. you're that young adult, and uh-huh. there's different phases and stages of of life. Um, yeah, I love being in my forties, you know. 
I love going through my 30s. Like, I love as much as I'm sure we all don't like going older. Like, <laughs> you know, because there's an end that comes and oh, yeah. the body starts breaking down and you get in those later stages. Like, I love going older. Uh-huh. Yeah, because I love the... It's just something to look forward to. It's, some, it's one of the gifts of, of life. It's yeah. that, you know, as you progress, like, yeah, you're accumulating more wisdom. You're accumulating more, like, that's just comes with the territory and you don't get it when you're 20 <laughs> you don't <laughs> yeah so it just yeah it's got to be that that patience waiting for it I don't want to be patient <laughs> yeah. but I get it I was I was 100% there like just yeah just just so like every emotion you know frustrated infuriated you know desperate hopeless like all those things of just like like I want to do something like I think so much more yeah Mm-hmm. So you know, keep that that burning sense, that burning passion alive, and uh, it'll it'll come. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's funny. It's so you know, hindsight is twenty twenty is a good one, but it's just so easy to see uh, the different phases of. I like I always see things through the lens of the hero's journey. You know? Right. Yeah. And so you know, that's just that stage of like struggle and like right. gaining personal power. Yeah, and totally. And we all have to go through it. And yeah, you know, when we look back, when I look back on my life, like the most difficult and challenging times are the ones that I appreciate the most. You right. Know? They sure they sucked and I wasn't stoked, you yeah. know, and I wanted to be anywhere but there, but I would not ever change any of those, you know, for something easier or, yeah, you know, and I think that, I would assume that you feel the same way about your own struggles. Yeah, totally. I mean, wouldn't want to repeat them. <laughs> no, no, that's why we're not in them anymore. Got the lesson. <laughs> yeah, moved on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Um, yeah, is there what's uh, what's coming up for the light seller that you'd love to love to share, talk about? Oh, yeah, lots lots of good things. Um, so we got the new book release happening right now. Ooh, yeah, what's that one focused uh, on? Chocolate. Oh my god! Yeah, so it's called Chocolate Life: The Alchemy of Cacao for Flavor, Function, and Feeling. Oh, sweet! Yeah, so that's there could out. be a fourth F, <laughs> which is I can't say it. Here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was a project I've been working on for years. Just start, stop. You know, like get distracted. Yeah, put aside. And finally just committed to, uh, yeah, birthing that into the world. Good for you. Um, That's cool. And with that has come some new, a new line of chocolate, some uh, flavor bars based upon different origins of cacao from around the world. Oh, cool. Yeah. And continue to do workshops. Uh, yeah, I think that academy or whatever it's going to be called, you know, is coming. Mm-hmm. Maybe 2022. We'll see. Nice. Uh, but still lots of always events. We've got the Medicinal Mushroom Symposium coming up in March. Yeah. Uh, that's turning into an annual event. So every March we're doing that. Every like October, November we're doing the Ferment Fest. Uh, tons of plant walks. Normally we've just done them in the kind of warmer months, like summer ideally. A little bit on the spring and uh, autumn shoulder seasons. But... We've been we've had a couple in in the winter and that's great too. So just mm-hmm. keep seeing that continue. Uh, yeah, yeah, beautiful. Mm-hmm. I really want to encourage people to check out the mushroom symposium because yeah. it's 
<laughs> we said right at the start here, we're like agreeing that this is the era of the fungus. And yeah. The mushrooms. Yeah. And then we were next door and the ladies said, talk about mushrooms. <laughs> we didn't even talk about <laughs> mushrooms. Yeah. But that's fine. There's so much info out there on them and there's, you know, an infinite amount to talk about. So. Yeah, totally. So this will be a nice deep dive from variety of experts on a diversity of topics from Sweet. cooking them to foraging them to growing them to just the medicine about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Final remarks, comments, advices, warnings, jokes. (laughs) Yeah, I feel I should. I feel I. I love jokes. Uh, I feel I should have one at the top of my head here. Not all of them are appropriate, though. I know. (laughs) I always got some. I got yeah, yeah. I got a. I got an appropriate one. Okay. What do you call an angry pee? I don't know. A grumpy. Oh. So dumb. <laughs> good, good. Yeah. You feeling complete? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's good chat. Sweet. Thank you so much. And yeah, like, for sure. Again, like, not only Calgary, but the world is lucky to have you and to have you following your passion. And oh, thanks. Yeah, just to have you sharing your knowledge and all this stuff. So, yeah. Thank yeah. you so much. I mean, everyone, everyone's got it within them, right? And if we can line up that purpose passion and profits that is where we're going to be serving ourselves in the world the most mm-hmm. beautiful yeah um what are the places that people can can poke you at okay yeah website lightseller.ca mm-hmm. and then i guess the socials you know we have a instagram facebook youtube account for lightseller so you can find lots of kind of food know-how mm-hmm. videos uh, through there interviews as well and then my own personal uh been struggling on instagram with shadow banning and censorship so nice. you might find me you might not probably Sweet. not uh but i i go under the tag the malchemist on there yeah. uh and then currently i mean that's the thing with social media it changes all the time but uh i'm on telegram as well maybe the most activated oh nice yeah Just your own channels or yeah okay yeah. cool yeah yeah separate from but related, obviously, to light seller. But yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and I will for sure share the links. Okay, that kind of stuff. Yeah, right on. And I look forward to another one of these. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to just yeah. get this much of your time. And yeah, well, right on. Whatever I want. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks, folks. Check out Malcolm. Come to the light seller. Yeah. Be at the mushroom symposium. That's right. It's an online event, so wherever you're tuning in from, you can uh, absolutely do so. And then if you're in the Calgary area, come visit us in Bonas in the Northwest. Cheers. Perfect. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Bye. (laughs) Right on. Good job. It's an hour and 40.